Hey, thanks so much for checking out Crossview Church Sermons and listening to this podcast. Every week you can expect a message that strengthens your faith and encourages you in your walk with God. You're about to hear a message from our lead pastor, Chris Dirksen. And we want to do a series to start this year off on doubt. All right? So now doubt, I mean that word, and I got it in real big there on the screen, you know, brings up all kinds of connotations for Christians. Usually when we think of this word, we think of it only with regards to our faith. But the truth of the matter is, doubt is a common experience outside of faith. Non-Christians, non-religious people, all human beings experience doubt as a regular part of life. I mean, any of you here today who is married or you have a girlfriend, if you're a guy here today, you know the feeling of doubt, right? When a birthday or an anniversary comes up and you're trying to pick that perfect gift and the stakes are high, all right? If you don't get her anything, you're in trouble. If you get her the wrong thing, you're in trouble. So you hum and you, I heard, I heard a couple of guys laughing there. You could just hear that. <laughs> um, ow. Um, is she going to like this piece of jewelry or is she going to think it's hideous, right? That feeling of uncertainty. You're humming, you're hawing. What do I do? What do I get? That is doubt, all right? It's not just something we experience with our faith. It's any feeling. It's every time we feel that feeling of uncertainty about something or someone, all right? And there's many different areas. Now, again, you know, we could talk about a gift. We could talk about a menu. How many of you here today experience paralysis every time you go to a restaurant and look at a menu. All right, lots of people have that. That's doubt. You look at it, you wish they only had one option. I don't care, bad or good. I just go there and you just give me, you know, Kunstborst or something. And I don't even get to choose because looking at a menu with 100 options is like overwhelming. What do I pick? What's the right one? What, what if I pick the wrong one? What if I pick one and then I think afterwards I see someone else at the table got something better than me? It's this like fear of missing out all of that doubt and uncertainty. It's doubt. By the way, I believe that doubt is the reason gift cards were invented, right? Because we want to avoid doubt. Right? Doubt is the reason for gift cards. You don't want to feel that uncertainty when you get someone a gift at Christmas, so you get them a gift card, you're guaranteed, right? And we could go on and on. Doubt is a part of everyday life. Now, there's different kinds of things that we can doubt. And we're going to look at a number of different kinds of things where we wrestle with doubt. Uh, one area where we deal with doubt is doubt about which choice to make. So that's kind of what I was just having fun with now, whether it be a menu or a gift or something like that. Now, of course, the level of how much doubt you feel or how uncomfortable you feel in the doubt is going to depend on what are the stakes, right? Like the doubt you feel when you look at a menu is quite small compared to the doubt when you have to make a big decision, whether what job you want to take or a career choice or what uh, maybe, maybe you have a serious health condition and you have to make some big decisions of you know, what the treatment's going to look like or where you're going to move or who you're going to marry. Doubt about which choice to make is something that all of us as human beings face at some point. And depending on what the stakes are in a given choice, we will feel that uncomfortableness in that doubt more or less. But there are all kinds of other places in life where we experience doubt. We experience doubt about people, right? Can I trust this person? 
Is this person good? I mean, and that kind of ties into God, another person, right? Can I trust God? This is a very common one when we go through hard things, when we go through confusing things, when we go through difficult things in life. We, can, we might doubt God. Is he good? Does he care about me? Is he listening? We can experience that. That's another thing we want to talk about in this, in this series. Of course, that leads into doubt about what we believe. This is, as Christians, when we think of the word doubt, this is often what we think about, but it's only one small part and piece of what doubt is. When we, there will be times in our lives where we doubt, is what we believe real? Is the Bible true? Can we count on this? Of course, another very common one that gives a lot of Christians a lot of stress and that I talk to people about regularly and did again recently is doubt about my salvation. Many Christians worry about this. Am I actually saved by Jesus? Am I actually okay? Right? And then another one we want to talk about in this series is actually self-doubt. Many, many people, and this is probably something we all experience at some point, but some of us probably experience it more, is we doubt ourselves. Am I worth while? Am I worth loving? Am I good enough to do this job? You know, imposter syndrome. Can I do this? Am I just faking it? What happens when people find out who I really am? Self-doubt. All kinds of doubt. Now, in this first sermon, what I want to do is I want to, first of all, talk a little bit about the positive side of doubt, because usually when we think about doubt, we think about doubt as a negative thing. It's something we want to avoid, We don't want to feel doubt. It's uncomfortable. Many times Christians feel guilty about doubt. I shouldn't ever doubt. I shouldn't doubt God. It's a sin to doubt the Bible or what we believe. So we think of doubt in a negative way. But I want to start this series off by actually talking about the positive side of doubt. Because doubt is actually an absolutely necessary part of human growth and development. God made it and he wired it into our brains. Think about this. The the devil didn't invent doubt. The devil actually can't invent anything. He can just warp things that God has made. But that's a little rabbit trail. Okay? But doubt is a necessary part of human growth and development. If it wasn't that God had invented this thing of doubt and wired it into our brains, we would have no motivation to learn anything new. We would never question wrong ways of doing things. We would just keep doing things the same way over and over and over and over and over and over again. If there was no such thing as doubt, we would still believe you know, the, the, the earth is flat and the sky is a hard dome and, and dragons are, you know, the ones who make magma in volcanoes because that's what people used to believe and we would never question it. Doubt is an important, vital thing that God actually wants every human being to have because it causes us to question things and improve things and learn new things. I mean, I am so thankful for doubt. If it wasn't for doubt, let's just think of one medical practice. Do you know that for a couple of thousand years, there was this common medical practice in many many cultures and many places around the world? There was this medical practice called bloodletting, where if you felt sick and went to the doctor, they would make cuts at your elbows or at your knees, or they would put a bunch of leeches on you. <laughs> All right? This is a long time in many cultures. Bloodletting. 
You go to the doctor, I'm sick. Ah, there must be impurities in your blood or you have too much blood. Imagine that if the doctor told you you had too much blood. So we're going to let enough blood out of you until you pass out. And then you're going to feel better. And this went on for a couple of thousand years. Now, thank God, in the 17th and 18th centuries, a bunch of science-minded doctors started to doubt, I wonder if this is actually working. I wonder if this is the right way to look at our sickness and our body. And they questioned it. They doubted it. And they found, oh, wait, this doesn't work. And then they revolutionized things. Thank God for doubt. We would never advance as a society without doubt. But even on an individual, psychological, you know, developmental level, God has wired doubt into each of us as individual human beings. Not just for societal development, but, I mean, how many parents, and I won't ask for a show of hands, because anyone who doesn't put their hands up will probably be lying. But those of you who are parents, one day your sweet, innocent, cute children wake up, they're 12 or 13, and they suddenly doubt everything you think and say. Isn't that true? And you think a demon has entered the house and you're doing spiritual warfare. This is not the same person. And you go, how did this happen? It doesn't matter how good of a parent you are. It doesn't matter how loving you are. There's this like period of time they wake up, you know, 12, 13, somewhere in there. And for like 10 or 15 years, they know everything and you know nothing. All right? Now, why? Now, some Christians would pontificate, oh, that's the sin nature. No, no, no. You know what that is? That's God saving your butt from your kids living with you for your entire life. <laughs> and I'm serious about that. This is part of how God has made us as human beings, the developmental process. If, imagine this. Imagine if God didn't wire this into our brains that at some point we would begin to question our parents and want to get separation from them Anytime you had a healthy home where parents and kids just love each other, they would bond so tightly, they would never split up. God knew this, and in part of the complexity of how he built us and, and, and wired us is at a certain point, hormones and things are released in your body that make you begin to doubt and question and want to put a little distance between yourself and your parents, and that's natural, and that's good, and of course, sin can mar it and make it worse and all kinds of things, but that's actually important. Your kids need to doubt you in order for them to a little bit find themselves, grow up, and move out from you. That's all part, doubt is part of that. So guess what? Doubt is a good thing. Doubt is from God. Doubt is not something to feel bad about. There's a second positive side to doubt, and that is doubt is necessary for critical thinking. Isn't that true? I mean, we all, I mean, there's, everybody knows. And, and again, if you have kids, if you're a teacher, we're trying to teach our kids critical thinking. Why? Because we don't want our kids to just believe anything. Could you imagine what would happen a person who had absolutely no doubt that God created them with a brain. And by the way, there's some Christians that might think this is a good thing. They're so afraid of doubt. They're like, oh God, please take away all my doubt. Imagine if God answered that prayer. I often wonder this about lots of our prayers. I think there's lots of our prayers that God in his graciousness is like, son or daughter, you don't actually want me to do that. If he took out all your doubt, so now you believe anything that comes in your ear or in your eyeballs. A Hindu walks up to you and shares their Hindu faith with you. And I just believe it. Someone tells you the moon is made out of blue cheese and brown cows give chocolate milk. You just believe it. 
There's no doubt. You'd be so gullible. You would be absolutely defenseless and helpless. God gave you doubt to protect you. And wise people develop this thing of critical thinking, and critical thinking is dependent on a healthy amount of doubt. And by the way, the Bible talks about this. This is what it says in Proverbs. The simple. Who wants to admit here today to being the simple? The simple believe anything. The simple believe anything. Proverbs uses these two phrases kind of interchangeably, the simple or the foolish. And in Proverbs, you don't want to be the simple or the foolish. You want to be the wise. The simple just believe anything. The simple have no doubt. The simple believe anything, but the prudent give thought to their steps. All right, that's critical thinking. Doubt is necessary for critical thinking. I would say that doubt, according to Proverbs, is an important piece of what wisdom looks like. It's not the only piece, obviously, but a piece of being a wise person is having a healthy amount of doubt and skepticism. It's protective. It's important. Now, we can go too far with this. We can go too far with doubt. And in fact, we live in a society where I would say doubt in some ways is almost running amok and not in the way that many Christians often think. We live in a society where we have literally more choices than ever before. I was listening uh, to a podcast interview this last week, really interesting, and, and, and it actually touched on this exact topic. And the guy mentioned how, you know, how society now just has so many choices. And it's not, a bad, it's not that someone planned to do something bad. We're going to give them choices. We all like choices. But it's like when cars first came out, you know, you could get the first f- models of Ford, you could, get, you could get any color you wanted as long as it was black. <laughs> so your choices were made for you. You didn't even think. There was no choice there. What color of car do I want? You just, if you wanted a car, you picked this model. In fact, there weren't many models to choose from. It was just basically, this is the car. If you choose to have a car, that's your only choice, then here's the car you're going to get. Now think about how different that is in our society today and then multiply that almost infinitely to every part of life. Today, if you want a vehicle, hokey smokes. It's, it's an almost infinite at times feeling array of makes and models and kinds. And then in addition to that, and now, and as we go, as technology advances, the choices increase. Now it used to just be, well, it was just like, uh, you know, gas or diesel. Now it's gas or diesel or hybrid or electric or, and, or and whatever. I don't even know what they're coming out with now. What kind of, I mean, bikes now. You can get battery-powered bikes. You see these guys flying by on the sidewalk. He's like, he's not even pedaling that hard. 50 kilometers an hour. Tire tracks cross your back and the back of your head. Choices. You go to a store for ice cream. It's not just vanilla. It's like, okay, I made a choice. I just want to get some ice cream. Then you go there. Now you have to make another choice. And people actually get overwhelmed. It's overwhelming. Everything, things that used to be simple have become complicated. And I'm not saying this is sinful. It's not bad. People are like, oh, our culture is so bad. It's just the reality of our modern society. You used to go for a coffee. It was like black 
or cream or cream and sugar. And now it's like, goodness, I don't even understand half the words. It's, I, t- I have to understand Italian. <laughs> just to know what size and the five or six things are in there. I just want a coffee. So we get overwhelmed. And then there's so much information. It's not just choices. It's information. We're living in the information age. We're swimming in information like never before. We have more information than we've ever had before. But the problem is, and you would think, so that means we know the truth more than we ever have before. But the problem with all this information is you can find information that backs up anything. Isn't that true? So if I want to believe X, I can go onto the internet and I can find people that give me great sounding arguments and information that exactly prove that. And I can go, done. But if I want to believe the exact opposite of X, I can go to another part of the internet and find really intelligent sounding arguments and information that say the exact opposite and they can't both be right. And I can find other websites and blog sites and YouTube videos and on and on and on and on that prove a thousand other options I didn't even know existed. And so what's happened is in this era where we have so much information and you would think having all this information will make us more certain about what the truth is, what's actually happened is that people have begun to doubt everything. And what we have is runaway doubt. So some doubt is necessary for wisdom and critical thinking. Absolutely. Otherwise, we're utterly helpless, gullible people. But now what we have is we need doubt. But on the other hand, we live in a society with runaway doubt. We're literally growing groups of people doubt everything, like everything. They don't believe anything they read. They don't believe anything a doctor says to them. They don't believe anything any scientist says or things we used to accept as fact. And one example, which, to be honest, I'm even nervous to share because this is the kind of thing that you would think, oh, you can share that example and absolutely nobody will be offended and you can't even anymore. But one example, and you're all going, oh, great, what's he going to say, what's he going to say, what's he going to say? Because that's how fractured this has become. I'll just bring up the flat earth. Oh! Okay, and if you're here today and you believe the earth is flat, we love you and you are still going to heaven where you will learn the truth. (laughs) Thank God. Okay, but I just want to say this shouldn't be controversial, but this is just an example where huge, and they're growing groups of Literally now in North America, some several millions of people. I personally know of several people in this community. I don't know of anyone in this church, so I'm not preaching against anyone here. Who actually literally believe that the earth is flat. They doubt. You say, but what about all the evidence? And what about, but they doubt everything. They doubt all of that. And there must be some kind of conspiracy to deceive us. It's runaway doubt. Now the thing about runaway doubt is, and I use the flat earth thing, but okay, let's just take that out of the way. The fact of the matter is, I could say other things that would really get offensive, but the fact of the matter is, we all live in this culture with this runaway doubt, and it's actually destabilizing and scary for lots of people because you start to doubt reality. 
you can't even agree on what reality is with your neighbor. It used to be you disagreed about what we're going to do about that reality. Now, in this era of information, we actually disagree about what the reality is itself. And it's destabilizing. How do I even live side by side with people who see the world totally radically different than I do? How do we live in a world with wise doubt but not runaway doubt? How do we live as Christians in this world? And does the Bible, this ancient book, have anything to say about this very modern problem? And I really think it does. And so I want to look at, at three kind of very general principles in Scripture that can help us in the midst of this. And we're going to do this in a loving, compassionate way, understanding that this thing I'm talking about here runs right through our church. And we, as Christ followers, are called to reach across that gap and to love each other and be unified with each other in the midst of doubting even different things. Amen? Okay. Tricked into saying amen so that I have some kind of verbal agreement. Does the Bible have anything to say about this very modern problem? Well, three, let's just look at three principles. And the first one is Proverbs 13. Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. Now, we're going to be very careful with this word fools. Proverbs talks a lot about fools. We are going to be very careful with that as believers because it can be very easy to weaponize this. And now everybody who disagrees with me, they're the fools and I'm the wise one. We're going to put that aside. Because that's not how we're going to walk in this modern fraction world as followers of Christ. We're going to walk as healers, as unifiers, not dividers. All right? But, but there's a principle here. Walk with the wise and become wise. So this is an ancient principle, but it applies today. That who you surround yourself with is going to impact you, is going to change you. And you, you, you can't stop that. All right? It's a fact. Now, some of you are like, okay, there's my excuse. I'm never going to another family gathering. I'm not saying that either. <laughs> I'm not saying that you have to get rid of everybody at all. But I'm just saying there's a reality here we have to pay attention to. The people you're around, this biblical principle, and it was true in ancient times, it's true today, who you surround yourself with will rub off on you. It's the way God's wired you. So when you surround yourself with wise people and wise opinions, you are going to become more wise. If you surround yourself with the other kind of stuff, you're going to become more that. So that's principle one. Surround yourself in general. So we're just talking about in general here. Surround yourself with wise people and wise opinions. Now, this is the fun part, right? Because we all disagree on who the wise people and the wise opinions are. So I can actually preach this point, not cause a lot of controversy, and solve nothing. So what I'm going to do now is give you a list of who I tell you to listen to and be around. No. Healthy doubt means even doubting me, gasp. Please do. And anybody that tells you you shouldn't doubt them, begin doubting immediately. For sure doubt me. I get lots of things wrong. I have and will continue to until we get our resurrected bodies. Surround yourself with wise people and wise opinions. Okay, so please, God, is there anything to help us clarify that a bit more? We get it. 100% of us agree with that. 
Where we don't agree is who are the wise people? What are the wise opinions? Does the Bible have anything to say about that? It does. In the book of James, it says this. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all. Now, we got to pay attention to this. In a culture and society like ours, that is filled with information and misinformation, and it's hard to tell where one stops and the other begins. We need to know what does wisdom look like. And most of us go for what is the best packaged, what sounds the smartest, which one just, which one agrees with my worldview. Which guy has put together or gal has put together the best video with the nicest points that's easiest to remember that gives me the simplest understanding of reality that just, boom, there it is. But James is going to give us what wisdom from heaven looks like. So what does wisdom from heaven look like? Would you like to know? Okay. Who said no? Ricky. I thought, it was, I thought it was Carl for a second, but I knew that was not. Carl's a good guy. <laughs> but the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, wait a minute. Well, let's just read through it. Pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace, reap a harvest of righteousness. Wait just a minute. Where's the part about the packaging and the intelligence? Doesn't have to start sound smart. It has to sound smart. It has to sound catchy. It has to be well argued. None of that is in the package of wisdom from heaven. Not that those things are bad. But all of those things are incidental to what true wisdom is. What does true wisdom look like? It is pure and peace-loving, and considerate, and submissive, and full of mercy, and impartial, and sincere, and back to peace-loving, and sowing in peace. There's peace again a third time. I forgot to highlight that one. Reaping a harvest of righteousness. So, wisdom from heaven can't be just determined from how smart the arguments look. Even though smart arguments are important, and that, I mean, it's important. There are places in life where we need smart thinking, but that's not where you know if this is wisdom from heaven. You know wisdom in heaven by the results of what it does to you and others. The wisdom that comes from heaven. This is in the Bible, by the way. This isn't like, oh yeah, Chris is preaching some new thing. He's got his little, you know, Chris view thing at Crossview. And so Chris thinks this is what real wisdom is. I'm I'm just telling you what James said. James says, you know wisdom by the result, what it does to you and what it does to others. If it ends with you growing in peace and goodness and mercy and all that good fruit. By the way, sounds a lot like the fruit of the Spirit. If that's what it ends with, if this is what it consistently ends with, That's what wisdom from heaven looks like. Now, I want you to notice what doesn't happen on here. When people use smart arguments 
to get you terrified and upset. I'm not saying there's never a time to be terrified or never a time to be upset. But when a consistent set of smart-sounding arguments always ends up in the opposite of this, you are not getting wisdom from heaven. That's just James. Why is that? Because the wisdom that comes from heaven is rooted in the throne room of heaven. Say, what does that mean? Okay, let me explain. If we went into the throne room of heaven right now and took whatever our favorite news app up there with us, right? So we went up there and we can pick. Let's just pick because let's just get real controversial. Let's say things like Fox News and CNN and CBC. Someone, yeah, whoa, someone's just like, ah, CBC. That is the devil. That is the Antichrist right there. I bet you if we added up the numbers in Hebrew, CBC is 666. Right? So, but let's go into the throne room of heaven right now with our favorite news app and let's show God and as God and the angels in heaven read the news with us, they must just freak out, right? I'm sure the throne room in heaven right now is utterly panicked just like Christians are. Oh, did God get up today, January, what is today? today? Sixth? Seventh. Yeah, that's right. Good. You're awake. Some of you are having coffee. It's awesome, right? On a pink carpet. Awesome. Did God get up today and look at the news and go, Oh, oh the agenda. The war, the agenda, the... Is God freaking out in the throne room of heaven right now over how bad things are? No. So why are Christians freaking out? Why is God not freaking out in heaven right now? Even though he knows the same news we do, he knows worse. You just look at two or three headlines that actually made it into the news. You don't see eight billion people and how absolutely sick and dangerous and messed up some of those billions of people are in, their own, in the privacy of their own homes and the hidden crime and the gross stuff that none of us can even see. He sees far more than us and he still doesn't freak out. Why? Because he's God and he is all-powerful and he has promised that in the end, he will win. Now, every card-carrying, Bible-believing Christian agrees with those statements. How many? In fact, I'm going to get our show of hands. So just get ready. I know it's very hard in this culture. We're going to move. This is not dancing. <laughs> We're not going to move our hands to, to a beat or to the music. And it's very important because we wouldn't want what dancing can lead to in church. <laughs> I don't know what you're thinking about. But anyway, but I just want a show of hands. How many of you believe that God is all-powerful? Just put your hands up. Okay, we have pretty good agreement on that. Okay. How many of you believe, one more, not a trick question. How many of you believe that God is absolutely going to win in the end? Put your hands up. Let me ask you something. If you actually believe that, 
what are you worried about? What are you worried about? See, wisdom that leads to this is rooted in the throne room of heaven, the confidence that God and good, not just God, but goodness itself, evil does not, does not, cannot, and will not win. And I refuse to preach anything different. Because that's actually the foundation. Wisdom from heaven. Now, this doesn't mean we deny that bad things are happening any more than that God pretends that bad things aren't happening. But we look at bad things that are happening through the lens, the same lens, and we remind ourselves of God's lens, which is if we were in the throne room of heaven looking at this news feed, we still would not be afraid. Because we are confident that God in good wins in the end. So that's wisdom. So now when you look at what wisdom looks like, it's not just a smart argument. It's, it can be a smart argument. It can be a smart argument that acknowledges bad things in the world. But at the end of it, it leads you to a place of confidence and peace. Because that's what the Bible says wisdom looks like. It doesn't end with real wisdom. does not end with Christians running around like chickens with their heads cut off freaking out about everything. That's not the wisdom from heaven. I had a wonderful conversation. So we're going to graciously, I, I just want to share an illustration. Not from this church. And I want to share this illustration with a lot of compassion because many people we all know and each of us sometimes end up fearing things that we probably shouldn't fear. But I was talking with a friend this past week, and he shared a story of a friend of his from a couple of years ago during COVID. He ran into this friend, and this friend of his is wonderful, compassionate, intelligent, amazing person. He runs into this person, I forget where. They run into each other, hey, so-and-so, hey, so-and-so. Comes up that there's been a road closure in the area for the last little while. Just, and this is all here in the area around Steinbeck. Somehow that comes up in the conversation. This other person who's wonderful, good, Christian, intelligent person says to my friend, says, well, well, you know what that is. They're setting up prison camps for everyone who's unvaccinated. Now, okay, but no, we're going to walk this with compassion. I knew some other, I, I've, I, this is a common thing that certain groups of people believed. And... Why did they believe it? Did they believe it because they were stupid? No, they did not believe it because they were stupid. They believed it because people they trusted and that were around them also believed it. And you could go on the internet. In fact, you can probably still go on there now and find it. And you can find articles that had like pictures and things that could sound convincing that made it seem like this sort of thing was happening here in Canada. So I get it. It's not that the person isn't stupid. This is a wonderful, good, smart person. But they're in a group of people that... So if you believe it, it just rubs off you. It just makes sense. That's what we do. My friend just pushed back just a little bit. Oh, I don't, I don't think that's what it is. The other person put up their walls. Remember, wisdom from heaven is peace. So my friend didn't push it. A lot of us lack that wisdom. Right? But what's the point of all this? You can find things to fear. And you can find good reasons to fear them. That isn't what the wisdom from heaven looks like. Now, you say, but what if it was true? 
First of all, it wasn't true. And lots of wise people could see that it wasn't true. But here's the third thing that we need to keep in mind. For thousands of years, in every generation, in many, many different cultures, not just Christian culture, not just ours, just do a little bit of work in history, and you will find that every generation, in many different cultures, there have always been people who said, the world's falling apart, and it's all just about to end. And here we are still today. Why are we still here today? Because there's a throne room. And God promised it won't all fall apart. He he will come back and set up his kingdom. And he's not coming back to a blown up earth that doesn't exist anymore. Do you believe that? That's why the wisdom from heaven looks like this. It's not just smart, it's confident in a godly, trusting way. Because God wins in the end. Now, let's get a little more specific. Let's get to principle two. Wisdom in a world of runaway doubt. For lack of guidance, a nation falls. But, so principle one was get around wise people who make you walk more in peace and confidence that God's going to win. If you get around those kinds of people, those kinds of people, it doesn't mean you don't hang around with anyone else. It just means get some of those people around you so you can walk more in peace. The world needs to see Christians that are walking in the confidence of what we know that the world doesn't know, which is that good wins in the end. Next level is how do we get wisdom in our specific personal lives? For lack of guidance, a nation falls, but victory is won through many advisors. Victory is won through many advisors. If you want to live a wise life in a world full of doubt and over-information and too many choices, you're going to need this ancient principle now more than ever before. Whether you're starting a business or starting a family or starting to date or wanting to make a big career choice, in a fracture over, fractured, over-informed culture, you need wise people in your life that you can specifically talk to. That's in the Proverbs. By the way, this piece of advice is repeated over and over and over again in the Proverbs. Go talk to wise people. Go talk to wise people. So principle two is seek out wise counsel. Now, when you seek out wise counsel... It's important that you seek out qualified wise counsel. Is that not true? Let me give you an example. No doubt someone in here is probably about to or in the middle of or at some point going to build a house. If you are going to build a house, you could say, okay, Proverbs tells me to go seek out many advisors. Pastor Chris, I can just email him. He seems like a relatively smart guy. He knows the Bible. I'm going to ask him for some advice about building my house. And you would think to yourself, see, I have done what Proverbs said. And actually, you've gone backwards. (laughs) You've gone backwards because I have lots of experience living in a house. I have no qualification whatsoever to tell you how to build one. You should not ask me. In fact, unless you're asking me in order to do the opposite. 
If you want to build a house, you don't ask someone like me, who doesn't know anything about tools or building or construction. You go to someone like my father-in-law, who has built numerous houses and spent his whole life in construction and you know, has his journeyman for something. I think it's carpentry. If I'm lying, Dad, sorry. But, uh, but you, you go to someone like that, and you can actually look around town, and you can find houses he's built, and they're well-built, and they're still standing. There's, there's experience. There's success there. That's an advisor through many advisors, not just through many opinions, not just through many people. Oh, I talked to you. You're breathing. You have an opinion. Tell me I'm following Proverbs 11. No, no, no. Qualified. Seek out wise counsel from qualified people. If you're a young person and you're starting a business, by all means, you should go and talk to people, not just one or two, you should go and talk to people who have successfully run a business, who are successfully running a business, who have character, who have expertise, who have training. Does that make sense? See, we could say it this way. See, in a world of over-information and too many choices, here's something we've forgotten in our modern society. Character and expertise matter Not everyone's opinion carries the same weight. Pay attention to that for just a moment. Actually, a bunch of us should be writing this down or memorizing it. I love it that we live in a free society where everybody can have opinion. That's awesome. It's important that everyone can have their own opinions. But everyone's opinion doesn't carry the same weight in every situation. Are you following me? My opinion about how you should build a house should not carry as much weight with you as someone who's actually built houses and successfully built them. My opinion about how you should cut your hair should not carry as much weight as someone who actually knows a thing or two about fashion or haircutting. Same with finances, same with business, same with everything. It's good to live in a society where everyone has an opinion, but not everyone's opinion should carry the same weight. This probably, and I, I want to, okay, now I'm just going to make this a personal application. Because I don't want anyone to feel preached against. I don't want anyone to feel like, oh, he's coming down on this subject or that subject. Let's just hold this with an open hand. This part, I think we can all pretty much agree with. For me personally, this is a little bit how I apply this principle to my life in a, in a world of over-information. It means that generally, well, let me, let me show you one more verse. Such as one advisor, what about if you also had many? This is repeated, and I wish I had time, but we're out of time. It's not just one qualified expert. If you talk to my father-in-law and you talk to, I see others of you in here, like boom, boom, I'm seeing a few of you that know your stuff about construction. If you would talk to three or four people about how to build a house, who all know how to build a house, wherever their advice lines up, wherever they agree, you're probably pretty confident that's going to be pretty good. By the way, that's 2,500-year-old advice. It still stands today. It's an inspired word of God. And over and over again, in Proverbs it says, many advisors, many advisors, many advisors. So let me take this ancient principle and tell you in a world of misinformation and over-information how I apply this, not necessarily how you should. You can pray about it. 
I generally take this verse, and in a world where there's so many choices and information, and I say, I can't be an expert in everything. See what I generally do then? I don't put the pressure on myself to understand everything. I just choose to trust what the majority of the experts in a field are saying. Not saying you have to. Not saying the majority is always right. But the truth of the matter is, I'm not smart enough to know everything. So if the majority of people who are experts in a certain area are saying this, I can't, I don't have 50 years to become an expert in that area. I'll just go with it. If the majority are saying this, I do the same in theology. When I come to you guys and preach, if I can't find a context understanding in a scripture that isn't backed up by like a bunch of different theologians and commentators, and I just think like, I'm just making this up. So I just choose to trust. That's for me how I lower the level of anxiety because it can get really anxiety-inducing when you think you have to figure everything out yourself. That's what I do. It's not what you have to do. So, that's principle three. And then we, ra- then we wrap up. At the very least, when a majority of wise people agree on something, pay attention. There's safety in numbers. Let's take 60 seconds and finish this sermon with a little bit of reflection. True wisdom from heaven leaves you more hopeful, more at peace, and more confident that good wins in the end leaves you like this. So before we leave here today, let's just take a deep breath. Is there anything from this sermon that I just want to take home for you? Maybe there's that one thing, it's like, eh, a bunch of that stuff, I don't know about Good. Doubt me too. Is there anything that stuck out? You think, I think the Spirit's saying, I want to take that one home with me. Wisdom from heaven. Are you walking in confidence or fear for the future? Are the people that you're mostly surrounded with wise or fearful. Why don't you bow your heads, close your eyes. Lord Jesus, I am just so thankful that somehow this ancient book called the Bible is even able to speak to our hyper-modern, fearful and chaotic world. I want to just declare in prayer again here today over everyone here the truths we say we believe that we are going to grab on to tighter. The truth that you win in the end. The truth that good is going to win over evil. The inevitable, indisputable confidence we can have in that truth allows us to go into the world, this fractured world, with something to offer the world, something that so many don't have, which is peace and hope, 
instead of chaos and doubt and fear. Help us to be those kinds of people in 2024. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast today and being part of what God is doing here at Crossview. A special thanks to those that are giving generously to this ministry. It's because of you this ministry is possible. If you enjoyed the sermon, why don't you subscribe to the platform you're listening to right now and let us know that you're listening by sharing and tagging us on social media. If you want to learn more about this ministry in our church, you can visit us at crossviewchurch.ca.